broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Woodstock, Georgia, welcome to Women in Business, where we celebrate influential women making a difference in our community. Now, here's your host. Hi, everyone. This is Lori Kennedy, and I'm your host today for Women in Business, powered by Business Radio X. Stone Payton, our producer, is also in the studio with us today, and we're grateful to have you tuned in with us. Uh, Today, we are interviewing two amazing women. We have Kara Frankel with... uh, uh, moving Target ATL, and we have Christy Choate with Choate Barbecue, and we're going to get to hear about them today and what motivates them and what got the, how they got started and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, Kara, why don't you say hi to us and tell us a little about when you guys uh, opened and what that looked like. Absolutely. I'm Kara Frankel. I'm the owner of Moving Target ATL, which is a mobile axe throwing business and company. And we opened our first unit in um, November of 2020. So dead in the heart of the COVID season. And um, (laughs) we're fortunate enough to have a really great year. And we opened our second unit um, with partners of ours in um, October of last year. So that's, we've got a good little bit over a year under our belt. In the mobile business. And so what areas do you serve? Right now, Georgia. (laughs) Anywhere in Georgia. Well, yeah, we we try to stay a little closer to home, but um, we do right now. We we do go off more than we really wished we would. Yeah. So that's why the expansion's coming. (laughs) And so where is the, uh, you guys are in Woodstock, right? We are, yes. Okay, so where is the other unit going to be? Actually, the the second unit is also housed here in Woodstock. It wasn't originally planned that way, but it was, um, the supply was, uh, the demand was needed for here. Okay, um, that's great. The third unit, though, we're looking for Southwest Georgia. Okay, awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, Christy, well, tell us a little about you and uh, what what all you do. I know you have your hands in lots of different things and uh, how Choate Barbecue got started. Wow. So I'm Christy Choate. We, along with my husband, Brian, um, own Choate Barbecue. We got started, well, little small beginnings. That's why we always say don't despise small beginnings. We started out with a kiosk. Um, restaurant in the back of Woodstock Market, which is just off of Bell's Ferry in 92. So the reason for that is you have to have a commissary to have a food truck. Um, So, and that was our ultimate goal is to have a food truck. That was back in 2016, 2017 is when we got our start with our food truck. And it's just grown since the last five years. And also, during the pandemic, we had the blessed opportunity of opening a restaurant in Ballground, Georgia. So, in um, the end of July of 2021, we opened our restaurant in Ballground. That's awesome. And how did, like, you also do other things, don't you? I do. I do a lot. <laughs> yeah. You um, you work, what, a couple days a week as well as trying to come up with all the recipes and yes. help everybody get... Uh, figure out how to get the food out of the kitchen and that sort of thing? Absolutely. So in addition to Choke Barbecue, I am an administrator at our church. I've done that for the last, uh, it'll be 10 years in October. So I've done that in addition to Choke Barbecue, in addition to being a mom and wife and all the things. Um, you just learn to balance it all. So we actually have a great team that's in our in our kitchen now who, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a baby for you. So you've had so much control over 
your recipes and how things are done and your processes and being able to find those people to come into your into your family. And that's what we like to say at Show Barbecue, we're a family. So they come into our family and then you have to teach them. Like you teach, you know, your just different things to your children when growing up. Not that they're children. These are bright individuals who have definitely added to our lives and added to our business. But here you're handing their, your baby that you've had for the last five years over to other people. And, um, you know, it takes a lot of trust in those people. Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy, too, because it's also, and Carrie, you're going through the same thing as yeah. you guys grow. You know, you also have to, just like with children, you do a whole lot more for them when they're an infant than you do when they're 15. So, or it looks different. So you also have to kind of take your hands off a little bit and let them go and have trust that they're not going to. And that's hard. You know, <laughs> add salt instead of sugar to your sweet tea. Yes. When you have a personality like me who, you know, you like things done right and it's easier to do it yourself rather than trusting people to do it, it's hard. It's harder to, to hand that off to, to people because, yeah. I mean, there's always going to be tweaking here and there, you know, to get them back on track with how you want things done. Right. But they're doing a great job. For sure. Well, um, Kara, let me start with you. And uh, I gave you guys a list of questions, and I don't know that we'll get to all of them. And I right. kind of just want us to go wherever our conversation takes us. Uh, but we will. We have at least a guideline that we uh, know we can start with. But tell me what motivates or inspires you. I would say motivation for me has to come from within. It's easy to say, oh, my family motivates me, or I do it for them. But you really have to be internalize that I think so from that I would say resilience in action and I know that those two have to go hand in hand and always have in my life and my dad was a very wise man and he once taught us at a very early age that you don't get to pick the cards you're dealt so since you don't get to pick them play the hell out of the ones that you that you can't that you have <laughs> right so with that um, you really a lot of when, when something is challenging that comes your way it's truly that ability to say you know what I can't be a victim of circumstance this is what's facing me now and how do I get past it and by doing that that's really what motivates me is like you don't have a lot of downtime to be able to wallow in the misery you have to be able to take action and get past it and push yourself past it and that's that's where the, our business was actually formed by losing a job to COVID and oh, wow. um, being able to within four weeks we already had a business plan in place and within three months we were fully in business from the ground up so it's just truly being able to say you know what this was really difficult but we got to yeah. go somewhere else and having a good support system behind you pushing you like my husband does is is what got us there that fast. Yeah. Well, I I know you talk about resilience and I do know some of your personal story. Um and you know, only share what you feel comfortable with, but how does uh how do some of the things that you've had to uh have resilience with affect how do those affect you now? Um obviously my chronic health issue was the biggest part of, of the overcoming um, through the past 15 years or so. And knowing that I was living more when I was possibly facing my last days and knowing that I couldn't get couldn't get caught up in that. And I had to say, you know what, there's more for me here. And God had a hand in that and said, yeah, there is more for you here. And being able to step past that and being able to say, you know what, it's not fair, but life's not fair. So it's time yeah. to time to keep going and keep living. Yeah, it gives me chills. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Christy, what motivates or inspires you? That's a great question. I like what Kara said about internal motivation. <clears throat> for me, um, 
there's various things that motivate me, not just internally, but externally. For me, a lot of my motivation comes externally. A lot of stressors, things that just have to be done. So you wouldn't necessarily think that of that as motivation, but you know, you have things that have to get done on a daily basis with a restaurant. Things are, it's predictable. There's things that have to be done every day. Um, but in terms of inspiration, I find my inspiration from all different types of places. Uh, people inspire me. Um, stories inspire me. Um, you know, just a beautiful day sometimes inspires me, just seeing what God has, has made out, out in the world, you know. Um, and uh, competition in, inspires me. So competition is a, bi- is a big thing. Um, I never liked losing. I don't like losing. So, you know, wanting to win, wanting to, to put out there the best product you can. Um, and, and actually, negative comments inspire me. Whether it makes me irritated in the moment, but I take that. I take that as constructive criticism and um, move on with it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, and how does who you are as a person reflect in what you do? Wow. Um, I think a lot of times. I think the word that comes to my mind is excellence, like right off the top of my head. Right. So as you, if you get caught up in that, like if you get caught in, what, how does that, how does that actually, you know, implement itself in my life? I see that in everything you do. I think being a more, for me, I'm more critical on myself than I'm other people. So, one, I don't a lot of times see what I'm excellent at um, because I tend to, it's easier to find the faults than it is the good things sometimes. But it takes people who you have in your life to be able to speak into you. Sometimes that's what you need. You need people in your life that are speaking those things about you that you might not even see in yourself. So, excellence. Um, like I said before, I'm. I, I'm a recovering perfectionist in that, you know, <laughs> at some point with a restaurant, you have to hand things off. So, and it still creeps in. Um, but again, um, I don't think necessarily perfectionism is a bad thing um, because you always want something to be better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I know we've talked about Enneagram before and I'm a one, which is a perfectionist in its title, but really I think they've changed it to an improver as they should have. (laughs) And uh, I just like to always improve things. And so I see that, that trait in you as well. Like, you know, and you've even talked about it just here right now, you analyze something and then try to figure out how to, how to make it better, whether that's, you know, a recipe or handing something off to someone or uh, that sort of thing. I think also what Kara was saying is you take those um, trials that you have in your life and they can either make you bitter or better. So, and we can always wallow in bitterness for a while, but it's not a healthy place to stay. So, yeah. I mean, we all have we all have stories, and whether we frame those stories as something for our good or something um, that's always going to be a struggle for us, we just need to reframe those in our mind. So, yeah, for sure. Um, so. What makes your life significant, Kara, and how does that affect and feed into your work? Significance for me, I think, is more is, is just simply connection, connection and relationship. And it's it's everything that we do. It's what empowers me as from from families or friends or anything else can be very 
situation situationally <laughs> oh that was hard situationally <laughs> connective but it's really finding the value in those bonds of people that make you be better or want to show up and be the best that you can be and what we do everything that we do is truly a connection from the moment that a customer calls us um, the cool thing we get to do is we usually come into their personal lives or whatever wherever that might be be at work be at church be it um, their home or a celebration and they become our family. So it's taking that transactional status out of a, of a business model and being able to make it much more relational and much more personal. And that's that's what we pride ourselves in. We don't want you to feel like you hired us. We want to feel like you like us. Well, and you think of all the details. Like I remember I went to an event and you had Crocs in every size. So why do you have Crocs in every size? Insurance guidelines. Um, yeah. Closed-toed shoes. In Georgia, yeah. you're going to have people that wear flip-flops 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So we have to be prepared. And I think that's the big thing that we've come across is we want to over-exceed your expectations, but we also want to be able to provide the things that you don't expect. And if there's anything that I've ever wanted, if it, if I was the customer, we want to add that, be it a purse hook, as sim- simple as that yeah. sounds, that's a big deal. A coat hook, a drink holder, some of the things that you add just because it's something that you would want or that would be an, an irritation if it wasn't there. So it's just adding the extra special touches and the attention to detail. When you do an event, like what are the time, what, what is the normal time limit? If somebody hires you for something, mm-hmm. what does that typically look like? There's not really a typical, um, our base rate, our base time is two hours. So, okay. um, that's going to be the, the shortest event that we do, but it's based a lot out of what your, what your event looks like. Um, if you have other entertainment or if we are the focus of that entertainment, if people are coming all at once, or if they're going to be straggling in, or if you have a hundred people, or if you have 150 people or if you have 30 people. So it kind of yeah. bases off of what you've got going on and what your what your headcount looks like. Okay, got it. All right, uh, Christy, let's ask you that question. What makes your life significant and how does that uh, feed into or affect your work? What makes my life significant would be um, I find my significance from my relationship with God. I know that not everybody is religious or has those views, but that's where I get most of my significance from. I'm not here as an accident. I'm here with a purpose. I was designed for a purpose. I'm here for this exact time and this exact reason. So a lot of my significance comes from my relationship with with my with my God. So, um, you know, and I think every life has significance, obviously, but I... I haven't found that most profoundly until I had a special needs daughter. Like, you really don't have, unless it comes into your life and you have a personal relationship with it, whether it be an issue, a health issue like cancer or whatever, or you have a child with a special need, or you have an elderly parent at some point, we're all going to have elderly parents that we're caring for. Um, it really doesn't have significance for you. So... It's just those different things that come into your life, whether you're going to see it as significant and help you grow and be better, or whether you're going to use it as something to point to as a crutch and, um, you know, just wallow in it. So I found through my daughter that I have found a lot of joy. Like she doesn't have the nickname Hannah Joy for no reason. But yeah, so. Yeah, she's always smiling and always has lots of hugs available that she does 
Um, well, one of the things that Brian, your husband, said to me recently was that uh, you guys are considering your business and ministry and that the people who work for you, you know, you want to make positive impacts in their life. What are some ways that you're that you see that played out? Well, we're interested in their stories. They're not just somebody who comes to work who, you know, they just come in, get the job done. We don't care about them necessarily, and they, they just go home. A lot of times it's easy to see yourself as a number or uh, machinery, as my pastor calls it. Um, <laughs> but they're not just machinery. They are people who have stories and who have hurts, who have, um, you know, different things in their life that are struggles for them. So I want to know what they're going through Um and who they are as people. And um, my husband says that he was brought into this restaurant business for grace. You know, he grace is something that um, we extend, but we also receive. So we also want to extend that grace to people that we work with. And like I said before, that everybody that comes into our business, we're accepting them into our family. So we want to see them as family. Um, and with family comes struggles sometimes, and you just have to work through that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, how do you use your influence in the community, Christy? Um, whether we think we have influence or not, we do. So <laughs> a lot of times I don't think I have influence because I'm an introvert. So I like to sit back, observe. Uh, I don't like to be in the spotlight. That's why my husband is the extrovert, and he can talk to anybody. Um, but whether we like it or not, we have influence. Um how I'm using that in the community, I mean, I, to be honest, don't know. Uh, well, you teach a Bible study, well, or you facilitate a Bible study, and you're very consistent with that, and you are very uh, purposeful and driven with that. Yes, so that goes into my consistency and my perfectionism. Um, um, I do have a Bible study. I do go to, to my part-time job. I'm consistent in that. I do go to my restaurant, and I'm consistent in that. Um, and I think people can see consistency as an influence. Um, yeah. Well, it's yeah. definitely something that you can depend on, right? Like, yeah. I would much rather have friends that I know how they're going to react to something as opposed to uh, somebody who's going to blow up if I'm one minute late or whatever, you know, because I've never been late. <laughs> right never never never, never. <laughs> well um Kara how do you use your influence in the community um we've actually started a found uh, not a foundation we've started a format of fundraising that we call acts of service and that allows us to being mobile we can give back to quite a few different communities not just the local community that we're plugged into and um that's been really great because it allows us to add a level of unique entertainment while people are giving back for either an organization, a cause, or a nonprofit. And that's something that we partner with a lot. We like to do that monthly, if not bi-monthly. And um, sometimes it's notified that, you know, noticed that we are a big sponsor of something like that. And sometimes yeah. the best giving is when people don't know that you're involved. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. You also have this ministry at your house that's like the hot tub ministry. <laughs> we do. We do. For girls only. only I for like girls. that one. <laughs> Our networking moment that yeah, we right. have there once a month. <laughs> um, well, Chrissy, I actually thought about something as mm -hmm. we were having this conversation. You, you're, you know what I'm going to say, don't maybe, you? Maybe. 
I'm not sure. Go uh, ahead. Banana pudding? Yes. Ah, yes. Tell us about your banana pudding. So, <laughs> special needs. My daughter has been uh, involved in Special Olympics since she was in fifth grade. That's how old you have to be or what grade you have to be in to get involved with Special Olympics. So, she has done bowling. She's done swimming. She's done horseback riding. Um, and her greatest love is horses. So, But she actually had an accident about a year ago where she fell off a horse and broke her arm. But that's a side story. Hannah Joy, it's Hannah. She's always had the nickname Hannah Banana. (laughs) And at a barbecue restaurant, you do have banana pudding. So we renamed the pudding to Hannah Banana Pudding. And for every Hannah Banana Pudding that's sold, a dollar gets donated to Special Olympics Georgia and to Beats, which is Bethany's Equine and Aquatic Therapy. They're out of... um, I believe the address is Woodstock, but it's pretty pretty far up there um, in between Milton and Canton area. Okay. But that's the barn that she's ridden at since uh, fifth grade. Wow. Yep. That's awesome. So how do you handle mistakes in your business? And give me an example. I know it feels like an interview, doesn't it? That's an interview <laughs> question. <laughs> I mean, food's pretty predictable. A mistake in in a restaurant would be something's not cooked right, something's overdone, something's not put together correctly. They don't like it. Um, it's always trying to please the customer. You're going to yeah. do things wrong. I mean, that's just that's just how it's going to be. There's always going to be somebody who doesn't like something. Some things are personal preference, but you know, we always want to make it right for the customer. We always. So we'll give them a refund, we'll give them a free meal, give them a coupon to come back later. Um, it's all, The only um, issue with handling mistakes is not handling them, yeah. ignoring them. Then right. your customer isn't feeling valued and ignored, yeah. and that's never a good thing. I guess we have the... Um uh, we just we went on vacation together, y'all. So uh, we just spent a whole week together, and, uh, you know things happen with your business when you're not there. And so I saw that, you know, your husband dealt with a a customer that was not happy and he didn't even ask, was he right or wrong? He didn't care. He just said, I don't make him happy. It doesn't really matter what happened. Right. You know, because you, in the end, you always want a customer who's satisfied or not just satisfied, who has had a great experience. Yeah. And in the same token, he did ask because he wanted to know if there were things that he needed to do different going forward. Right. But he was like, make him happy. I don't care what happened. And then let's figure out what happened and see if we need to make changes, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Kara? How do you handle mistakes in your business? And give me an example. Oh, boy. Um, well, obviously, when you are a one or a two man show, you wear a lot of hats and you yeah. have a, a lot of plates spinning in the air. And it's just, we're human. It's going to happen where one of those drop. Unfortunately, like you said, I, I'm my worst critic, so I can't get past it very easily. So um, the biggest thing I think is just swiftly handling the situation and being very um, humble and using um, 100% candor and just being flat out honest with exactly what happened, why it happened, and then how you can rectify it. I think also it's, um, I like to come to the customer with, these are some options that I think we can, how we can handle the situation, but also ask for input. What do they, what will they be satisfied with if this mistake happened? 
Um, and then it's just learning through that and knowing that you put the proper things in place so it doesn't happen again. Um, the example that I probably, as I say, you have to give yourself a little bit of grace. I don't usually do it, and I'm still probably worried about this one. But um, early on, I gave a lot of um, credit to Google Calendar and being able to do all my scheduling through that. And the mistake happened when I realized that I double booked. When we had one unit, I double booked a event um, on the same date at the exact same time in different cities. So that wasn't going to be an easy one to rectify, but I had to just put that aside and say, okay, let me go to these people on a very personal note, let them know I made a mistake and take full responsibility for it. I think that's the other part is how would I want this handled if it was me? Unfortunately, both events couldn't be rescheduled or changed from the date, but being able to work through it and letting them know I made a mistake and being able to right that wrong in the customer's behalf. So if it was doing their event at a slightly earlier time, just to be able to make both happen, even if it came down to, I had reached out to a competitor to be able to say, would you be available on this? Mm -hmm. I messed up. Would you be available? And if that was the right route we needed to go, we would be happy to do that um, to make sure that the customer was satisfied on the other end. But it was just being able to also say, well, you know what we could do? We could do it at this time. And I say, if you would do that for us, we're going to comp your event. And they're more than happy just to know that they can still feel really good about the outcome and they were able to help us out in a really sticky situation. Yeah, for sure. Well, so I know we've talked a couple times before and I've heard you say things about like what makes what you do different than your competitors? Um, Anybody that's making people have a great time is doing a great thing. So I'll start with that. Yeah. A little bit about what we do differently is the attention to detail and being able to start with a really good quality product. Um, and at the point where I lost my job and we were going to start a business, it seemed like, okay, how are we going to do this? Where's, where are these funds coming from? And to do it, I could understand how somebody would want to go into it as inexpensively as possible just to be able to start the business and then grow with it as you do. We took the absolute opposite approach and said, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. And it's going to be recognized that there is a difference. Um, and we hear a lot, even when I talk to our insurance company, They say, usually every Monday morning, we get somebody that wants to quit their job and put this on wheels and start mobile axe throwing. And they say, we can't even insure them because they don't even know how they're going to build it, let alone have a, a drawing or any type of a business plan. And that's one thing, having the industry knowledge behind me and going into my fifth year of being in the industry and in the sport, we already knew what that looked like. We knew what, how we needed to make it right and make it different, make it safe. And that was our biggest thing is putting the safety first, making decisions that weren't all about the money, but it was about the safety and the experience. And by doing that, we keep everything on the unit versus extra um, targets off of the unit or roaming axes where it's not going to be safe. So um, it's just a, a quality product, a quality experience and having that wow factor when we pull up all the way to the very end in the follow up. Okay, awesome. Same question for you, Christy. What makes Chote Barbecue not just your everyday barbecue? What is special about y'all? Um, in contrast to Kara, we did start out small. We started out with a little offset smoker in our driveway, which, you know, would draw the neighbors, what are you cooking? And he, my husband, Brian, he, um, I like to say, um invested in a lot of meat before he got it right so he did a lot of things wrong before he got it right um but we've always gone into it is 
our motto is sauce optional, simply great barbecue. So we want our product to have flavor outside of the sauces, which we already make. We make as well before you put it on the product. But it's always that attention to uh, if it's right, if it's cooked right, if it's if it's how it should be, if it's moist, is it dried out, is it too dark, is it too light? So it's always been um, doing it right the first time. I mean, you're going to get, like I said, you're going to ruin it, ruin a lot, spend a lot of money Testing. before you get it right. Yeah. One of my first memories of Brian was when he entered barbecue into a church cook-off and won. For yes. the very, it was his very first time doing something like that. And I remember how scared he was. And he was like, but I won, I won. Yes. That was fun. So he, er, he figured out quickly that he would rather sell barbecue at a barbecue competition than to pay somebody to tell him that his barbecue is good. <laughs> so it <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> Appropriate. He's always done the meat side of the business, the, the brisket, the ribs, the chicken, and I've always done the sides. I've always had an, a uh, affinity for cooking. That probably comes from my aunt, you know, going to visit her. She's a great cook. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're complimentary in that. Um, but yeah. What are the other parts of the business that you do versus him? I'm always curious, and I'm going to ask you the same question, Kara, because I'm always curious how a husband and wife uh, figure out who's supposed to do what without, um, you know, killing each other? Yes. That's a very great question. So him being the extrovert and me being the introvert, he's greater, he's better with people than I am. I would much rather get my get my head to the grind and do work versus having to manage people. And I've told him that I will do whatever, but I'm not managing people. That is not my strength. That's not what I like to do. I like to do work. So... I mean, I've been on the food truck. I've made sides. I've been up late. I'm going up. I've been up early. I've done it all. But also, I also have an administrative background. So I like numbers. I like um, putting my hands to whatever is the back end of the restaurant to make it run. Because there's a lot, a lot in the back end that goes into it. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about things like what company do you use for payroll and what, you know, how do you, did you get a PPP loan and all these kind of things. So I know you do a lot of the admin paperwork, accounting, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of inquiries from catering. Um, Yeah. I just do it, do it all on, on the administrative side of things. So yes. But Brian is the day-to-day operations of the restaurant. He worked for a fortune 500 company for, 23 years and in June he quit his longtime job during a pandemic and went full-time into restaurant took the plunge took the plunge at some point in your business you're gonna have to do that yeah whether you're forced to or you doing it willingly it was the next step to where we wanted to be with our business yeah it's very courageous it's a very courageous step. It's a very scary place to be, but yes, you're right. In order to take that business to that next level, you have to be willing to put your all into it. Yeah, absolutely. for sure. What about you, Kara? What? How do you and your husband divide your your business? Well, my husband hasn't taken the plunge, so <laughs> he okay. still has a normal job or what he yeah. calls a real job. Which you know, now we laugh at that because now he has two real jobs. But um, <laughs> he'll, if you asked him, he'd say, "I'm the brains; he's the brawn." Um, I would say way more than that. We both are extroverts. We both have no problem talking to customers, and it kind of works for what we do. 
Um, I get the customers from the time that they're trying to get a quote all the way through the process, all of the back end. Again, those a lot of spinning um, plates for sure. Um, and he gets our units safely to wherever we go and does 100% of the maintenance. He's, he did 99% of the build out of both units himself other than the welding. And he's the MacGyver that can make any he can prepare ahead for what he can think could possibly go wrong, but he is in the moment, the person that can go, no matter what happens, I can fix it. And we've actually seen that happen when our winch broke right at the beginning of an event. In my head, it's like, Oh, this one's canceled. And he said, no way. You know, he went to home Depot, he fixed it. They never even knew anything was wrong, but he also has the personality to be able to be the lead expert and be up on the trailer and having people have a great time with him. So he's kind of the anomaly that is hard to be able to get which is why being able to find the the right people to be our operators are very difficult because you usually don't have the person that has that skill and that those traits as well as the personality and you kind of have to have both yeah yeah what is the greatest challenge that you're facing right now as a business or industry oh goodness i would have to say um I'm going to go from the mobile aspect because axe throwing is, it's not going anywhere. It's a worldwide sport. It's an ESPN sport, but the mobile side is newer. So that's only been around for a couple of years. And so a lot of trial and error to be able to make sure that regulations are, are, are completed and correct. But the biggest thing would be somebody getting into the business so new without doing the proper research and the industry knowledge and knowing what those regulations are and how to be able to be safe at what you're doing and what you're building, not just jumping straight in because we're trying to keep the integrity of mobile axe throwing at a level that we, we operate at and that we want to be able to sustain. And if you get somebody that's not going to do it very safely and you get one bad rap, then it's going to hurt the whole industry. So it's just trying to make sure that we can mentor and help people along the way to be able to make the decisions and and be knowledgeable before they actually jump in. Who knew about axe throwing before you did this and how did you bring that knowledge to the, to, you know, did you do it before? Yes, I was actually in, okay. in, I was in brick and mortar entertainment for four years or almost four years before COVID. So I ran brick and mortar, um, different entertainments, but axe throwing was one of those across the country. Ah, okay. Yeah. I, I think you've probably told me that, but somehow I had not remembered that. I think that axe throwing, combining that at an event with alcohol would be an interesting endeavor to make sure everybody stays safe all the time, for sure. Yes. Which way do I throw this thing again? <laughs> we've been very fortunate. Again, we, we that's our number one thing is the safety. So we've been very fortunate to make good decisions that keep people safe. Yeah, that's awesome. Christy, what are the greatest challenges that uh, Choke Barbecue is now facing as a business or industry. Can we say pandemic? Um, so <laughs> all across the board, whether it's labor, commodity cost, it's all um, a challenge. Yeah. What something was, so let's just take uh, fryer oil, for example. What It was $13, $14 a couple years ago, is now $40. Meat is a couple do- more dollars per pound. So... Business cost is a huge thing, and labor costs have gone up, gone up. You know, you just want to take better care of your employees, and to get that great talent, you have to pay them more. So, and a lot of times, customers they don't want to pay higher prices. Um, but you kind of have they to. They don't. No, really. They want they want the same amount 
at the same cost. <laughs> so, but we're in that unique situation that, um, you know, we have great customers, few and far between. They they'll come in and be like, "Well, this is expensive," but it's not McDonald's or it's not Chick Fil A. It's a process that takes a lot longer time to produce than yeah. than that. And um, but yeah, the pandemic I think is the biggest challenge. And I know it's not forever. Costs are going to come back down. Hopefully, hopefully there won't be much inflation. But you know, it's just something we're dealing with for the yeah. next. I don't know how long. Yeah, we taught. We had several conversations about labor and how difficult it is to get get people working these days. So I know that's got to be even more difficult in restaurants than it is in automotive. But it's we're, we're struggling as well. Absolutely. Now for the food truck during the pandemic, we had our best sales year. Period. Being a mobile business, you know, with all the restaurants shut down, people were inviting us into their neighborhoods and. Yeah. Um, so we did a lot of neighborhoods. We did more, more, um, more events like that. Um, so it was a great year for the food truck, but you know, still the costs went up. Well, what are some misconceptions about your industry? Misconceptions. Well, I think I, I hit on one of them is that people want the same amount for the same price. In 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 this environment, we, it, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. I was actually reading an article today about a company in Atlanta, a uh, restaurant group, that actually is putting a surcharge on their um, tickets. I mean, it's right on there for you to read, so it's not hidden. But they have, I believe it's a 5% surcharge to provide um, paid time off and health benefits for their employees. So every ticket, they're adding 5% to it. Now you can opt out of that, but that's not something we're doing. Um, but I, I think it's a very creative idea. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think it, anything that you uh, want to do with your business, as long as people know up front what you're doing, then you're better off more information than less information. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, at least a lot of people that I know, when they go out to eat now, they tip more percentage-wise than Absolutely. they did before the pandemic because they know that – it's hard to keep employees working. And I think everybody knows it's hard to give them benefits. It's costly to give them benefits. So I think I would be all for, you know, if I can afford to go out to eat, then I can afford to pay an extra 5% to make sure somebody's taken care of. Right. I mean, I, I think that's, I, I think that's very creative. It is creative. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some misconceptions about your industry, Kara? That's pretty easy. Axe throwing's dangerous. <laughs> so, yeah. um, Especially I, when you combine it with alcohol. Right, we just talked right. about this. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so I think the biggest thing is, um, again, it's been around for a long time now, so it's not something that's just thrown together like, hey, this would be fun if we started throwing axes for a sport. It's it's here to stay. So I think the biggest part is, especially when you throw it onto a trailer and you're mobile, um, people think it's a free-for-all. <laughs> people are just walking around with axes and doing their thing. They'll and always, hey, I saw a video once, like we know oh. where it's going. Hey, I saw this video once and it looked really dangerous or it could have gone really bad. But there's a lot of things that you, that checks and balances that you put into place to make sure that you can show them clearly that that's not the norm. Um, and again, some of those are regulations. Our, our trailer is regulation distance for throwing, regulation width for throwing. Um, it also always has somebody on the trailer. The axes are the properly selected axes and the size and the weight that they should be to make the risk a lot less than it would be if it was improper. 
um, making sure that people are going through a litmus test of getting up the stairs easily before they're going to start throwing axes. <laughs> and then again, making sure that the throwing is only happening on the trailer and that we have full management and full responsibility of where those axes are and that they never leave the trailer. So there's a lot of checks and balances to make it a lot safer. Plus, we're totally covered with our insurance that there's no additional um, risk to any property owner or anywhere that we're sitting. So yeah. that gives them some type of a peace of mind as well. But once they see what we do versus what some other people do where they'll actually build a target on the ground and then yes there's axes roaming around you never can really control somebody but what we do is it's a hundred percent you're always with somebody that knows what they're doing that's managing it on the trailer and you never take them with you yeah contained very contained yes well yes in our industry in automotive whenever somebody says yeah i saw something on youtube you're (laughs) like oh no (laughs) the funny thing is the one the one that most people are talking about we can go ahead and debunk that one right off the bat so we know what they're talking about before they even get to that you've seen it (laughs) yeah we know (laughs) we know well are you being mentored and are you mentoring others and like what does that look like for you on a regular basis we do mentor others um in in two different capacities one is um when we jumped in we were we were quickly recognized as a very quality brand. And by doing that, we had a lot of people through Facebook groups and other people that are looking to get into the com- I mean, into the industry reach out to us and ask for a lot of guidance, which this is where my husband and I differ. He's like, no, we did all of that. They can too. Like, no, it benefits and behooves all of us to let people fall in love with the sport and to do it the right way. So there's no reason to put anything in their way of being successful because it would only hurt us as well. So it's um, from San Diego to two people in Florida and currently somebody in Tennessee and North Carolina that we're starting to kind of help through the process and mentor along the way. I have no problem answering questions and trying to at least open their eyes to things that they don't know are even going to come their way before they make the mistakes that could possibly cost them their business um, before it even gets off the ground. And then our second way is through um, our established partnerships that we have. So our second unit is more of a, um, you know, closer to my heart. It's son and daughter-in-law have bought into it and have their own unit as well. Um, and they're doing it on a part-time basis because of his job, but being able to mentor them and actually teach them a little bit more about business in general, not just about the business that they have they have actually started themselves. And then obviously the new um, entrepreneurs that are coming up with us as well for the next units. Yeah. Although I love your answer, my thoughts go toward franchise. Yeah, yeah. We're doing partnerships versus <laughs> franchise. <laughs> um, it's just a better business model for us. Yeah. So we're partnering out versus franchising. Yeah. What about you, Christy? Uh, what oh, mentoring? Who's mentoring you? Who are you mentoring? How does that look? So when we got into the barbecue food truck business specifically, we had several um, barbecue food trucks that were out there already doing it. Some great guys who who, you know, told my husband and I, if you ever need anything, let us know. They let us, they gave us some tips, some um, tricks of the trade, that sort of thing with having to do the f- with the food truck. These were people who knew, and to Kara's point, is that, you know, their success doesn't e- equal my failure, and my success doesn't equal their, their failure. Uh, every once in a while you'll run into some people who aren't like that, where they see it more as a competition. Um, but is if you're putting a great quality product out there. I mean, it elevates, it elevates 
the whole industry. It whole, right. elevates the whole barbecue industry. Now, of course, my husband and I like to go wherever we go. We go to always always find out find those barbecue restaurants where we can go, and it makes us you know we're like oh well, we need to do this different or you know it just validates to us that we're we're doing something right. So those were people who early on were mentors to my husband and I uh, in our business. And when we were looking to expand from the food truck to the restaurant, you know, we had different people from um, some um, some local breweries. I mean, uh, Spencer Nix with uh, Reformation. He was a great asset to my husband. And um, uh, Kobe, uh, not Kobe, um, Zach Kell with, uh, he has several local restaurants in Canton. You know, he he, you know, Brian bounced some stuff off of him and actually gave him a great lead for this restaurant we're in now. So um, those were people that, you know, were vital, you know, to our business and who has have talked in, talked into my husband and I. Um, but also, you know, in terms of other mentors, I mean, there's lots of people out that you come in contact with that can be challenging or can be mentoring you in some aspect. Um, and in terms of mentoring other people, I don't feel like I'm mentoring other people, but that's the key there is you don't feel like it. So again, you have influence whether you think you do or you don't. Um, yes. but yeah, for sure you do. Okay. Just a couple more questions. And, uh, what advice Christy, would you give to someone trying to get into a new business? Not specifically your business, but a new business. What advice would you give them? Um, I think I said it before is don't don't despise small beginnings. Um, a lot of people want to go big or don't do it at all. I think there are entry-level points into business where you can be successful and build from there. And that's what we have seen in our business is we started small. We funded it ourselves. We didn't have any debt going into our business, um, and we built the food truck out ourselves. So there's different things that you can do uh, in business where you don't have to invest a lot of money ahead of time, but you do have to invest a lot of talent and sweat equity into it. So that's what I would, you know, some advice I would give them is don't don't worry about starting small. It's okay. Good advice. What about you, Kara? Um. In business in general or business? Yeah, in, business in, in general, general, I think. Just because your business is so specific. It is, yeah. That um, I want to hear in general. Yeah, business in general, I think it's just, um, you know, take a deep breath and believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do more than you give your give yourself credit for and allow the people that are your, um, your best advocates to be there to pump you up and make you feel like, you know what, you're doing a good job and listen to them. Sometimes it's hard to hear the positive. It's only... It's, it's really easy to hear what people are going to, the naysayers of what you're doing. So yeah. take the risk um, and be able to know that there's going to be setbacks and that's okay. That doesn't mean it's the end of your business. So just be ready to um, to power on past those and, and do it. Just do it, but make sure that you're, you're well-informed when you do so that you're prepared for what can come your way. That's awesome. Okay, last question, and that is how do we get in touch with you? How do we find you? How do we follow you how do we come see you whatever that is Kara how do we do that with you with me you can find us at www.movingtargetatl.com 
You can also email us, and that would be info at movingtargetatl.com. And then our phone number is 770-756-2937. That spells AXES, A-X-E-S, so that's easy to remember on that part. how smart you are. Um, My husband did that. He gets full credit for that. (laughs) But then also, if you'll check us out on social media, we're on Facebook and Instagram, and you can really get a good feel for what we do and, and what sets us apart in the industry. Awesome. Thank you. Christy, how do we find you? Well, one, you can just look for the food truck rolling down the road, um, but that jokes aside. Yeah, no, you guys are at, uh, you're in downtown Woodstock a good bit. Um, We're at Truck and Tap two times a month. We're at um, several local breweries. We do all kinds of events, um, which is complimentary to axe throwing. Um, But yeah, it's www.truckandtap.com. Chotebbq.com is our website, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, our restaurant is actually up in Ballground. It's 10150 Ballground Highway in Ballground. Uh, it's right on the main thoroughfare there as you're going in and through um, Ballground, and we'd love to have you come out and visit us. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today on Women in Business powered by Business Radio X. Until next time, this is Lori Kennedy reminding you to keep learning and growing. 